My name is Dennis. I'm fortunate to serve as the associate pastor here at New Freedom. Uh, serve along Pastor Joe. Uh, my wife and I were talking, we'll be here 12 years in August. It's surprising how fast the time has gone. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed being here as much as we have. We're so excited and glad to be here. It's a, this is our home. It always will be. No matter where we go, this is still home. And uh, we love it here. You know, this 4th of July weekend has been a great weekend, even the whole last week. You know, part of the thing about, about uh, being uh, children of God is to experience all of life. All of life. We got to do that this week. On Thursday, we spent birthday with my 99-year-old aunt. My mother's sister, 99 years old. Then Friday night, we went to some graduation parties, celebrating with people who were graduating. And then yesterday, we got to celebrate the birthday of our granddaughter, who is two years old. So we got to go from two to 99 and everything in between. Now that's life. That is really life. I hope that you all celebrate life. And, and one of the things that we've uh, come to understand is that, you know, Life is precious. Every day is precious. We're not guaranteed anything, and it can be snatched from us just as quickly as it came. So we need to make sure we celebrate each day and thank the Lord for all the days that we have. I wanted to, uh, <clears throat> before I get started, I forgot to do this last service. I was so excited to preach. Uh, they're out at the uh, information desk as you go out. IHN, Interfaith Hospitality, we are hosting again uh, in a week or so. And there are some needs of interfaith, and you can find those out there. Back to School Bash is coming up for kids going back to school. That is also out there. You've been told about next week's Children's Church and Sunday School starts at 9.30. And all, coming up August the 2nd, August the 2nd, I know it's a few weeks away, but we're going to have Baptism Sunday. So if you want to be baptized, uh, see me, or you can sign up out at the front desk we will be baptizing out at the Stolly Farm out there. I don't know if, how many of you have been out there, but it's a beautiful place for baptisms. And uh, this is the last summer she's going to have it open for baptisms. She's retiring the place. So we're going to be, it'll be one of the last uh, baptisms here in there at, at the Stolly Farm. So keep all those things in mind. Uh, you have me today. Pastor Joe's on vacation. He's suffering down in Florida. Uh, of course, you can't go to the beach because <laughs> the beaches are closed. No, I shouldn't say that. They'll be open back up. They'll be open back. But he's taking some time off, well-deserved time with his family and kids. Hi, Pastor Joe, and welcome to the people who are online. Again, my name is uh, Dennis, and I serve as the associate pastor here. One of the things that over the uh, last years, last, well, last few months, that the Lord's been really impressing on me is Dennis. I need you to go deeper with me. You need to go deeper. You're not going deep enough. You've become satisfied with, the, with the, where you are. And my people are becoming satisfied. The church is becoming satisfied with where you are, where they are. And we, I want the, my church, and I want you to go deeper with me. And so he's been, he's been really impressing upon me. And one of the places he took me to was Matthew 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Now, I've always thought of the Beatitudes just being, you know, it's, oh, that's really fun. I like to read that. Blessed, I'm blessed if I do this, blessed if I do that. But he said, Dennis, it's more than that. It's more, those Beatitudes mean more than just what they say on the paper. You know, it's a, 
He says, it's kind of a growth track for you and my people if you'll just look at these Beatitudes a little bit different way. And so that's what I want to do with you this morning as we delve into them to look at them a little bit different way. You know, life, God is very orderly. And, and life is very orderly. You know, babies are born and then they crawl and then they walk and then they run and then they grow up to cause you all kinds of problems. And so it's all part of this orderly way that life is set up. And then one day, eventually, we pass on. So that's the physical part of life. But there's also the spiritual part. And the spiritual part is the same way. We start as babies. How do I know that? Well, he told Lazarus what? You must be born again. Born in the spirit. And so... As we are babies, we also are baby Christians. And then as baby Christians, we gradually grow and grow and grow into mature Christians. Now, how do we do that? It doesn't just happen automatically. Because see what happens, we'll get into a place where we're walking with God and we're feeling pretty comfortable and things are going really good. So we're just happy to stay there. I love coming here to church and worshiping with everybody. But it's more than that. It's more than that. We're as Christians, Christianity is not a religion. It's a way of life. It's a way you and I choose to live life. And there are certain ways that the Lord calls us to live this way. But he wants us to grow, to grow, to grow, to grow deeper and more and more mature as Christians. So as we do that, you know, the the physical life is really a nice metaphor for the Christian life as we grow. So as we look at the Beatitudes this morning, I want you to think about them. I'm going to have you think about them a little bit different ways. Hopefully challenge you a little bit in your walk with the Lord and what he, what he really, what he wants from us. Now, we know that uh, the first word in all of the Beatitudes is blessed. And blessed means happy. Blessed means divine favor from God. In other words, if you want to have divine favor from God, they needed to be poor in spirit. And we'll go all through those. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this glorious, glorious day. Lord, thank you, Lord, that we live in the United States of America. Lord, where we are free to worship, we are free to pray, we are free to be who you have created us to be. Lord, it is such a great place to live. There's no better place in the whole world, Lord. Help us to honor you by honoring our country and honoring our leaders, and Lord, in living the Christian life out loud, living it out loud as we live it in this world. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you will, you will allow me to bring your word and the energy of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my Lord, my God, and my Savior. Amen. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read the verse previous to it. It says, Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Then it goes on. And, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now, I'm seated today, not because I'm a rabbi. I'm seated because my legs are extremely weak, and so I need to sit down today. I hope that's all right with you, but that's what I'm going to do. And we're here to to look into this word. So the multitudes. Now, who were these multitudes? See, Jesus actually in this particular 
this particular event, actually called his disciples away. He wanted to talk to his disciples. Now, there were more than just 12 disciples. By this time, they had more than 12. But he wanted to pull his disciples away to teach them. But he became so popular that crowds just followed him. Now, who was in this crowd? Well, it's kind of like crowds that come to church. Some people come to church because they're curious. Some people come to church to worship. Some people come to church because they think it's the right thing to do. Some people come to church and follow Jesus to see the miracles. Some of the people following Jesus were religious people like the Pharisees and Sadducees who were trying to catch him in some kind of a lie of some sort or trick him up to catch up so they could get, crucify him, get rid of him because they were afraid of him. Don't be afraid of Jesus. Don't be afraid of what he might ask you to do or how he might ask you to live. Don't be afraid of that because see, if you try to live that and ask him to help you, he'll make sure, he'll help you live that way. That's the way he is. He's good and he's faithful and we don't trust him enough. So they went up to the mountains and, and uh, so the crowds came where he was, up high on a mountain. And it's kind of like a natural amphitheater so he could speak to them. And so, like I said, the disciples were many more by now. But verse two, it says this, then he opened his mouth and taught them. I got to tell you, you know, I'm not a trained theologian. And so I'm not smart enough to know what, all what God says. And so I ask him, Lord, if you want me to speak, then I'm going to open my mouth and you talk. Because I'm not smart enough to know all those things. I'm not smart enough. I need him. I need him every day. And I especially need him when I bring the word. Because it's his word. It's not my word. It's not my word. Open his mouth and began saying, said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, when we're poor physically, we don't have any money. We don't have, much, we don't have anything to, that we can do anything with. Well, poor in spirit means you admit that. You're not, you don't admit you don't have money, but you admit that you don't know what the right thing to do is. You don't have, you need help. You can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. There's no way that you can do it alone. That's what mean poor in spirit means. Poor in spirit doesn't mean like, oh, Lord, I'm so poor, I can't do anything, I need your help. And that's false humility. He wants people, he wants us to be real. And the message I'm bringing next week is about being real, real people. But he wants us to be real people. He wants us to honor him. We, we need to humble ourselves because if we do not humble ourselves and admit that we need him, Lord, help me come into my life, I need you, that's poor in spirit. And mean it. That's poor in spirit. And if he's going to teach us, we have to be humble and to realize that we don't know it all. See, one of the biggest things that gets all of our ways is a word called pride. Pride is the beginning of all sin. Whenever we sin against God, what we're saying to him is we know better than he does. That's pride. That's pride. Anytime we think we know Better than him, that's pride. Anything we, anytime we think we can go it alone without him, that's pride. So the beginning of our walk, he says, is to be humble. Admit that we need him. Surrender to him. Surrender our lives to him. 
If we don't do that, we can't go any farther in our walk with him. We can't go any farther unless we humble ourselves. And that's not an easy thing to do sometimes, is it? Because we like to think that we know everything and we know how to do things, that we know everything. And it's just not so. First Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares from you. Poor in spirit. Lord, I, got, I need your help. I can't do it. I can't do it myself. I need you every day, every minute, every way. That's being poor in spirit. So once we, once we get the hang of being poor in spirit and start living that way, not just talking it, but living that way, then the next thing will happen, our next step in this growth track is it says in verse four, it says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, mourning isn't just crying, okay? It's not crying in a sad movie or a sad commercial like I do. That's not, that's not, that's not mourning. Mourning is a deep sorrow, a deep sorrow. Have you ever heard someone really mourn when they cry? When I was a principal, I had a student that was killed in an automobile accident. And the, the highway patrol called me. It was on Memorial Day, and he called me. He said, uh, uh, are you, he said, are you Dennis? I'm, he said, you're the principal? Yeah, I'm the principal of Waynesville Middle School. He said, well, uh, do you know such and such? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, I need to get in touch with them, and I can't seem to find them. Do you know where they live? I said, yes, I know where they live. He said, well, would you meet me there? So I went and meet him there. Anyway, their son had died in an automobile accident. So I was with the highway patrolman when he told the mother that her son had died. He was in the eighth grade. I heard mourning. I will never in my life ever forget the sound of the grief and the cry of that mother. Never. It's different. When you mourn, you have a different sadness. You know, you, you, you regret, you have regrets. See, being sorry for your sins isn't enough. You can say, Lord, I'm really sorry I did that. Well, are you really sorry you did that or are you sorry because you got caught? Most of us are sorry because when we get caught, because we think we get away with things, and with God, we don't get away with anything. Not a single thing. And so we have to be able to, if we are, we are, we are truly repentant, we will know what it's like to mourn, and we will know that as a Christian, we need to be able to mourn with each other. Mourn with each other. We've had a death of, uh, of a 24-year-old here in our church. To the grandmother go and mother go here. <clears throat> That's mourning. They're in deep, deep mourning. They are hurt beyond belief at the loss of a 24-year-old child. That's, you know, can you, can you mourn with them? You may not know what it's like to lose a child like that, but can you feel their grief? Can you feel their hurt? That's what we're called to do. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. See, until we become humble and surrender ourselves to God, we can never really share grief with anybody. We can't even share grief for our own sins and our own, uh, uh, our own uh, shortcomings. It's not possible to do. See, as we go through these steps, I believe each one of these uh, Beatitudes is a step going higher and higher and higher in our walk with God. 
becoming more and more righteous and more holy every day. That's what he calls us to do. This is a journey, folks. It doesn't happen overnight. Sure, you would get saved overnight and you're, you're sorry and repent overnight, but our journey, when that happens, it's just the beginning. It is just the beginning of our life with the Lord because there's a lot more to go in that, in that life. James 1, 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. See, when things happen in each other's lives, it's important for us to go through them and not avoid them. Or I, I th- I'm beginning to think it's even, almost even wrong for, uh, to ask God to take something away when somebody's going through something. Maybe they're going through that or you and I are going through that because there's something we need to learn. And if we get that taken away from us and we don't experience that, we're losing out. Instead of praying to, to not have to go through it, we need to be praying, Lord, help me. Walk through this with me, Lord. Help me. Walk through it with me, Lord. I can't do this alone. Bring me friends to help walk through it. Are you willing to walk through those things with friends? Do you have anybody that, that's willing to walk through those kind of things with you? Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek does not mean that you are weak. Those two words do not mean the same thing. Meek means that a person is quiet, they're gentle, and they're submissive. See, if you, if you, are, if you allow yourself to, to, uh, to admit that you're poor in spirit and God softens your heart so that you can mourn, then you'll, the next step is becoming meek. See, too many marriages and friendships dissolve because of one thing, because they're not willing to be submissive to each other. You know, Bible mentions, oh yeah, women, you're supposed to be submissive to me. Well, yeah, but it works both ways. Marriage is a partnership. Husbands and wives need to be submissive to each other. It's not a one-way street. And then we need to be submissive to God. Lord, okay. In in Hebrews, we have the... uh, the kind of the Hall of Fame, and all of them starts out by faith, by faith, by faith. Meek means that you are willing to walk in faith, and you're you're ready and willing to admit to submit to the will of God. Colossians three twelve, so there for says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you you also must do. All those things, you know, humility, kindness, long-suffering, bearing and forgiving one another. That's being meek. Being meek. We have to forgive each other. We have to. That's a commandment. It's not an option. It's not an option. We need to learn to be able to be meek. Submit to God, let him soften our heart, It'll help in the next step, and then he'll make us meek. As we go to the next step that we go on up, verse 6, next step up, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Until you submit and get, a, and get a soft heart and become submissive and gentle, you'll never thirst or have a craving for, God, what, for the word of God. So you can't go from being submissive 
to hungering and thirsting. You can't jump three steps. God's plan doesn't work that way. God's very orderly. It's a, it's a growth track for us as we go through life, experiencing and developing and allowing him to develop in us these beatitudes. They'll be, we'll be blessed because of it. We'll have divine favor because of it. Hunger and thirst, having a strong craving for him. Jesus said this in John 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Are you hungry for the good things of life? Are you hungry and thirsty for a life that is full of contentment and happiness and fulfillment? There's only one place to find that, and that's a life in Christ. It's a life in Christ. So after, after, we're, after we come through this far, in verse 7, we go another step higher. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Are you merciful, or do you want your revenge and your pound of flesh when someone hurts you? Jesus had a good answer for that, didn't he, on the cross? What did he say? Forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. See, we expect people to act like Jesus. T.D. Jakes, our say, said, why do we expect people to act like Jesus when they don't even know him? You know people that don't act, they act like they shouldn't, and you expect them, why don't they, why do they act that way? Well, they don't know Jesus, or they wouldn't act that way. And guess what? How can they get to know Jesus? Through us. Through us. I'd rather see a sermon than be one any day. Preach the gospel every day, and if necessary, use words. Live your life. We're to live a transparent life and acting and trying to live the way that Jesus asks us to live. People will see that. Some people won't. But see, the problem is this. I can't make you act the way I want you to, think the way I'd like for you to, do the things I'd like for you to do. I'm not, it's impossible for me. And you can't make me either. It's your choice. I can't, I can't, I can't make my neighbor want to go to church. I can invite them. I can live the life of Christ in front of them. But I can't make them. It would do no good for me to tie them up in a rope and bring them to church. Any more than it helps us when we beat our friends over the head with a Bible. Like that's going to, like they're going to get the knowledge of Jesus with like that way. It's not. We need to be merciful and understanding. Merciful is a strong, is, is bringing some run relief from something unpleasant. There's a lot of unpleasantness in this world today. A lot of it. Are you willing to bring some relief to people who are unhappy? Are you willing to put yourself out there? Are you willing to, as Pastor Joe said to us, if, we're gonna, if Christians are supposed to be a bridge, are you willing to be walked on, taken advantage of, misunderstood, talked about? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So Jesus is telling us, here's some steps. You need to follow these steps. You know, as you go along, Andrew Holmes said, there's no better exercise for the heart than to reach down and lift someone up. I love that old hymn. Uh, Pastor Pendley used to sing it. Lord reached way down for me. 
I don't know about you, but he reached way down for me. Way down. Farther than he should have, but he loved me enough. And he loves each and every one of you. He loves everybody that we know enough to willing to reach down for him. But the thing is, sometimes he needs us to do the reaching. It's not good, any good for us just to come in church and listen to the sing praises and, and listen to the word and go, oh man, that was a great sermon, and to go out and it doesn't change us. We don't live the life that God has called us to live. What good is it? What good is it? We're to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Faith without works is dead, the Bible tells us. The world needs the church, needs Christian way of life more today than ever. Than ever. They need Jesus. And they might just find him here in the church. But better, more than that, they're going to find him in you if they're going to find him at all. Because some people will never grace the doors of a church. They just won't, for whatever reasons. For whatever reasons. Being merciful. Luke 6 says, Love your enemies, do good, and lend hope for nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Therefore, be merciful, as your Father also is merciful. When you've asked for forgiveness, did you have to pay anything for that forgiveness? It's free. Free because Jesus hung on the cross. His blood was shed for us. That's why it's free for us. It's not, we didn't earn anything. It's out of God's grace and love for each and every one of us that he forgives and is merciful to us. Thank God he didn't return, hasn't done to us what we did to him or wanted revenge of some sort because the way we lived. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Does that mean you'll see him, actually see him? I don't necessarily think so. But I think as as you start, as we start maturing, we get through all these steps, our heart will become more pure. And what we'll do, we'll see God at work in the world. We're to join him. He'll see God at work in people, and we're to join him. Anybody in here see angels? You do, don't you, Mary? Mary does. And there's another lady in this church that sees angels too. There are angels in this service right now. I don't know how many. How many? Two. Two. Sometimes they're with the singers. Sometimes they're up around here when we're singing and praising. Sometimes they stand beside Pastor Joe when he preaches. I don't see him because my heart isn't pure enough. (laughs) It's just not pure enough. I want it to be. I'm working towards that. But blessed are the pure in heart because they see God. Angels are part of God. There's messengers. God wants our heart to be pure. means he wants it to be free from contamination of the world, not mixed up. And see, striving to be like God will make our actions more honorable. See, our heart is so important. Not only is it important for us as we live because it pumps blood, but it's also 
what God weighs, the scriptures tell us. He weighs our heart. Weighs away our heart because our heart is where our motivations are. Proverbs 4.23 says, Proverbs says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Every action you take, every action I take, every word I speak, everything I do, thought I think, God weighs my heart because of the motivation of what's, what's causing me to do that. Why did someone act that way? Well, there's a motivation in their heart. See, God wants to reward, a, reward us for faithful hearts, but he doesn't reward us if, we, if, if we, our attitude is this. Well, I'm going to do this good deed, and then God owes me one. No. No. Everything we do out of love is, should be unconditional, expecting nothing in return. That's the way God loves us. There's, we, don't, we don't have to do anything to earn his love. People should not have to do anything to earn our love and our care, or our mercy, forgiveness, or compassion. We should give that freely without expecting anything in return. Sometimes you get those things in return, sometimes you never do. But God knows, and he knows your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, it says in Proverbs. Then try praying this prayer sometimes, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. I dare you to pray that. But I will warn you, he will show you. And sometimes what God shows us about ourselves, we don't like because our heart's not pure. But if we want a pure heart, we have to ask him to show us. Lord, show me my heart. Yeah, I want to get rid of anything in there that, that shouldn't be in there because I want to serve you. I want to see you. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. See, now we've gone from being uh, admitting we need God, <clears throat> me God, to becoming a peacemaker. You can't just get to know God and become a peacemaker. You know Why? Because your motives for peace will be the wrong motives. They'll be your motives, not God's motives. We're lucky enough to live with a young girl in our family. When she was very young, her brothers and sisters, as most brothers and sisters do, they like to argue and fuss and fight and pick at each other. From a very young age... She would go, she'd step in between them and go, no. No, don't fight. And they would stop. They'd do it again later, but it'd be the same thing. No, no. Our house is the most peaceful, has been the most peaceful place to be. I can't even explain. I mean, for a while, Joy and I couldn't even joke with each other. You know how husbands and wives do? They joke and rag on each other and stuff and act like they're mad or whatever. Nope. If I would say something against Joy and make fun or rag on her about something, I'd say, isn't that right, Mallory? And she'd go, no. Joy do the same thing about me. Said, isn't that right, Mallory? She'd go, no. We can't even, we can't even, couldn't even joke with each other for a while. Now she's starting to understand joking when we're doing it, so we can do that again. But it's so important. Her life is so peaceful, and she is a peacemaker. She wants life to be peaceful. 
That's what the Lord wants our life to be. Bring in peace by reconciling with adversaries. That's moral purity. It's being impartial. It's being patient. It's going that extra mile. Going that extra mile. Scripture even talks about that. If someone asks you to go one mile, go two. Right? That's scriptural. We need to walk with people as far as they need to be walked with. Sometimes they need a long walk. Sometimes it's just a short one. But until we admit we're poor in spirit, until, until we're able to have, be able to experience sorrow in our heart, before we're able to be gentle and submissive, and before we have a strong desire for the word of God, and before we become a merciful, pure in heart, we can't be a peacemaker because we'll have our own motives. Because we want to live in a world where there's no, where people aren't at odds with each other. And in a perfect world, that would happen. Someday, we'll be able to live in that perfect world again. In the heavenlies. In the heavenlies. See, in a perfect world, I wouldn't have to worry about anything because I'd know that my friends would make sure all my needs were met. And I would be part of helping other people's needs be met in a perfect world. But we all know that doesn't work because too many people give and help with strings attached. They want something in return. That's not how we're called to live. We could all live in peace with one another without contention and strife and try to love and understand each other. We may not understand each other, but it doesn't mean we can't try. See, when it comes to arguments, it takes two people to have an argument. If my wife wants to argue with me, I can be quiet and the argument ends, or vice versa. Except someone from the first service said, came up to me and said, I have a contention with you about what you said. I said, oh, what's that? I'm thinking, what did I say? Scripture wrong or something? She goes, you know, I can argue with myself really good. (laughs) Right? You ever done that, arguing with yourself, thinking you know what's right, and then you argue and talk back and forth with yourself until you get it all figured out? I said, well, that's okay as long as you can make peace with yourself at the end of it. We're all hard on ourselves. And so I never really thought about it from that angle. But 2 Corinthians 2 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, a God of all covenant, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What you and I go through and God helps us go through, now we have the experience to walk through that same thing with someone else and to help them through it. That's one of the reasons why we go through things in life. We can walk with other people. We can know, we can really say, I know how you feel. I mean, with Sue and Allison, I, I could, I could be really easy for me to say, yeah, I know how you feel. I don't know how they feel. I've never lost a child. I don't want to know how that feels. My grandfather said to me, when my mother passed, she was 68 when she died. My grandfather was 80, almost 90. We're walking away from the grave and he goes, Dennis, He's crying. I said, Grandpa, what's wrong? He goes, it's just not supposed to be this way. I said, what do you mean, Grandpa? He goes, you're not supposed to outlive your children. I said, but 
She was 68 years old. She lived a full life. And he said to me, he said, Dennis, I'd rather bury 10 wives than one child. It's hard. We want to be at peace with one another and peace with God. Verse 10, 11, and 12. 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted. Anybody in here think you know what it's like to be persecuted? We've never been persecuted. We think we have. Just because somebody says they want us to want us to not uh, go to church because of the virus. And, and out in California, did you know what they, the governor said? You can go to church, but you can't sing. Right. Are you kidding me? I know about 30 churches out there. They'll have to haul all of them off the jail. Because they're not going to not sing. That's crazy. See, we live in the United States of America. We are free. People, men and women have died so that you and I can sit in this place. We can read this word. We can sing praises. We can pray anywhere, anytime we want. They say kids can't pray in school. That's malarkey. They can't keep kids from praying in school. It's not possible. They can't keep us from praying. We can bless our food. Nobody can keep us from blessing our food. We live in a great country. If you've ever been to any other country, there's no place to live like the United States of America. You know, you know Pastor Lewis. You all know, most of you know Pastor Lewis. When his family was young, he had to move them into the middle of the jungle, okay, to live because they were being persecuted by the Muslims. He lived for two years in the jungle with his family to keep them safe from being killed. Would you be willing to move your family in the middle of the woods with nothing except what's in the woods to survive because you're being, just so you can worship God? The reason why they had to go into the jungle was because the Muslims were afraid to go into the jungle because of the spirits, evil spirits. That's persecution. Christians all over the world are being persecuted for going to church. In Nigeria, every Sunday, every Sunday, people go to church and they don't know if someone's going to come into the church and kill them all while they're in there or wait for them on the outside when they leave. Would you be willing to come to church like that? There were two, school, two girls in Pastor Lewis's school, in the Christian school. They were Muslim. Her, their parents allowed them to come to church and, and to school as long as they took a beating before they came. That's persecution. Not only did they come, they went all through school, graduated, and now they're teachers in the school. Is your faith that strong? I don't know if mine's that strong. I'd like to think it was. I don't know. But until I start walking humbly with God and he softens my heart and I become gentle and quiet and I start thirsting after his word and I start being merciful with people and my heart becomes more pure and I become a peacemaker, only then and only then will I be able to face persecution. Think about it. If you were a brand new Christian today, how much persecution could you face tomorrow? 
We need to be strong in the faith, strong in God's word. We need to allow him to mold us and make us into the people he said on this path of growth, this growth track of the Beatitudes of going through life so that we're ready to be his people. Also, verse 11 says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. If they do that, there's only, you can't have a, just a, a very shallow relationship with God and be able to, verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So my question today is this. Are you growing spiritually? Are you growing spiritually? I ask myself, Dennis, are you growing spiritually? Do you recognize that you need God every day, that you can't do it without him. Paul, every day, had to start all over every day. He said, I have to repent and start over every day. I don't think I'm a third demand Paul was, so I think I ought to be trying to start over every day too. Start over every day. See, if you're a new Christian, don't consider that that's the end of your life of your Christian life because there's so much more that God wants to show us, so much more he wants to grow so that we can really, I mean really be his people in this world and not just talk about it. Not just talk about it. My son said to me once, said, boy, dad, this is several years ago, I, I have to repent all the time because when my son was growing up, I wasn't anywhere near the person I am now. And so I, I apologized to him, asking him to forgive me because I wasn't, the per, I wasn't the father he needed me to be. He needed me to be. So I had, and he would say to me, he said to me once, this is what woke me up. He said, boy, dad, you're really a religious guy. I go, oh, please don't say that. Don't call me religious. I'm a Christian. I'm not a religion. It's a way I choose to live my life, a way that all of us have to choose to live our life every day. We make thousands of choices a day. Thousands of choices a day. It starts with being humble. It starts with being repentant and asking God to help us and realize that we can't do it without him. See, we need to take these steps today and every day and allow the Spirit of God to move us steadily towards maturity in Christ. See, an intimate relationship is what Jesus wants with us. Intimate. Not just drive by, hello. Oh, hey, Jesus. No. He wants an intimate, intimate relationship. And to have an intimate relationship, you have to take the time to get to know him in an intimate way. This growth track will lead us into an intimate relationship with Jesus. Nothing else will, will, will really do. Sure, you can be saved. But man, if we don't go any farther than that, what, my, what we're missing in life, all the other things he has for us. All the other things he has for us. See, it's not good enough just to follow the law. 
Because uh, uh, the law will not get us into heaven. <clears throat> I even heard a pastor say once, he said, you know, your sins are not what keep you out of heaven. It's your failure to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior that keeps you out of heaven. That's what keeps us out. Because you know why? Because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Sometimes we don't like to think of ourselves that way, but we are. Maybe in little ways, maybe in big ways. But sin is sin. Sin is sin. So my question to you here, anybody here and anybody online that's watching, have you ever surrendered your life to Christ? Have you ever surrendered your life to Christ? If you haven't, there's no better time like right now. Because he's waiting with open arms. It doesn't matter what, you've done, what you did 30 seconds ago. He's got his arms open for you, ready to receive you if you'll ask him. He's a gentleman. He's not going to go anyplace where he isn't asked to come. It's not like when I was a teacher. There was always that one student in school. You'd ask a question. There'd be one in the back going, ooh, 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 choose me, choose me. Jesus doesn't do that on our life. He's there for our asking, for our seeking, for to humble ourselves and allow him to be our Lord and Savior. Have you admitted that you're a sinner and you need a Savior? I can't answer that question, but you can. I can't see your heart. Your actions can fool me but not very often. One thing for sure, none of our actions ever fool God. He knows exactly what we're thinking and why we're doing what we're doing or not doing. Again, I say, don't be afraid of Jesus. Some people are afraid to, to, uh, to submit to him. Some of us are afraid to submit to anybody. We have to be our own person. We've got to be strong. We can't dare let anybody have any control over us. The only person who needs control of us is the Spirit. So if you haven't done that, today is the day. Now is the time. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me through him. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and you are holy. I pray that your, you promise that your word would not return void and your word has been spoken. Your word has been read. I claim that promise now that it won't, doesn't, won't return void. Lord, and I pray that Anyone within the sound of my voice that wants to submit and surrender to you, Lord, that they do it right this moment. They would just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I want you to help me change my life. I want you to be my savior and I'll serve you all my days. Father, honor that prayer though for anyone who has prayed that. 
Maybe they may not do it today. They might do it later this afternoon. I don't know. All that matters is that they come to know you because we're not promised tomorrow. None of us, not a single one of us are promised tomorrow. In your word, you tell us how fleeting life is. So Lord, I know that you want us to live each and every day to its fullest. The only way we can live it to its fullest is to live it in you. Everything else is fleeting, but your way is permanent. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's here today. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you that they took the time to come and to worship you and to hear your word. Honor them, Lord. I pray favor, blessings, provision, protection, health over all the families that are here and those that aren't here. Just touch them, Lord. Show them how real you are and who you want to be in their life. Lord, we'll give you all the praise and glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.